No fear. No political correctness. No wokeism. You're listening to Underground USA. Thanks for listening, downloading, and sharing. My name is Frank Salbato. On a recent edition of ABC News This Week, host George Stephanopoulos abruptly ended an interview with U.S. Senator J.D. Vance, Republican of Ohio, because Vance wouldn't take a knee to the idea that the executive branch bureaucracy has autonomy outside the pleasure of the President of the United States and that rulings by the U.S. Supreme Court can never be challenged or subverted. Both notions are ridiculous. In the past, when being interviewed, I have stated emphatically that the biggest mistake of Donald Trump's presidency was that he didn't either outright fire or at least relieve of duty and reassign all of the upper and mid-level political appointments at the Department of Justice, the U.S. Treasury Department, the Pentagon, and the U.S. State Department. That delinquency came back to damage Trump's ability to achieve many things during his presidency and set the stage for the deep state bureaucratic political opposition plaguing his current presidential run. Each civil servant in the federal bureaucracy serves at the pleasure of the President of the United States, because the President is the ipso facto executive branch. He's elected by the citizens to execute the tasks of the federal government and to do so per the letter of the law. Each employee of the federal government works for the president. And just like any other employer, when a subordinate fails to execute his or her duties, or if they usurp the authority thereof, they are and should be subject to termination. But Stephanopoulos, a former senior advisor to President Bill Clinton, challenged Vance on the president's authority to terminate civil servants for their failure to execute presidential policy, when, in fact, that is what any federal employee is employed to do. And Stephanopoulos did so with incredulous arrogance, as if to insist that the deep state bureaucracy has a constitutional authority to exist unilaterally outside of the president's prerogative, independent from presidential and legislated policy. Because you will get taken to court, and when the courts stop you, stand before the country like Andrew Jackson did and say the Chief Justice has made his ruling, now let him enforce it. Fire everyone in the government, then defy the Supreme Court? You think it's okay for the president to defy the Supreme Court? No, no, George, I did not say fire everyone in the government. I said replace the mid-level bureaucrats with people who are responsive to the administration's agenda. Every civil servant in the administrative problems. No, George, I said the mid-level bureaucrats, and one of the problems that we have in this government... You said every civil servant in the administrative... Actually, who don't... Who, let me finish the, the answer, George. You asked the question. We have a major problem here with administrators and bureaucrats in the government who don't respond to the elected branches. Let's just give one very real world example of this. In 2019, Donald Trump, having defeated ISIS, said that we should redeploy our troops in Syria and Jordan out of the region. You had multiple members of the Defense Department bureaucracy who followed on that. So what happened? We have people who are sitting ducks in the Levant right now, three of whom just got killed 
because the bureaucrats aren't listening to the political branches. That's a fundamental component of our government, George, that whoever is in charge, agree or disagree with them, you have to follow the rules. If those people aren't following the rules, then of course you've got to fire them. And of course the president has to be able to run the government as he thinks he should. That's the way the constitution works. It has been thwarted too much by the way our bureaucracy has worked over the past 15 years. The constitution also says the president must abide by legitimate Supreme Court rulings, doesn't it? The Constitution says that the Supreme Court can make rulings, but if the Supreme Court, and look, I hope that they would not do this, but if the Supreme Court said the President of the United States can't fire a general, that would be an illegitimate ruling, and the President has to have Article II prerogative under the Constitution to actually run the military as he sees fit. This is just basic constitutional legitimacy. You're talking about a hypothetical where the Supreme Court tries to run the military. I don't think that's going to happen, George. But of course, if it did, the president would have to respond to it. There are multiple examples throughout American history of the president doing just that. You didn't say military in your answer, and you made it very clear. You believe the president can defy the Supreme Court. Senator, thanks for your time this morning. No, 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 George. Rand George. up next. We'll be right back. To Stephanopoulos's contention that a SCOTUS decision can never be challenged or subverted, I was shocked that Vance didn't point out the usurpations of SCOTUS's ruling currently taking place under Biden's administration. SCOTUS ruled, in no uncertain terms, that the executive branch did not have the authority to forgive student loans. Yet, to this day, the Biden administration continues to use taxpayer dollars to forgive student loans that were issued in good faith and with the expectation that they would be repaid. The power of the purse is exclusively reserved for the U.S. House of Representatives. So with each loan forgiven, there is a violation of the separation of powers. SCOTUS also ruled that race could not be used in determining college admissions. Yet the Biden administration is pursuing the ability to use race-based admissions criteria at West Point, again defying the high court. And as for fidelity to the Constitution, we need to look no further than Biden's abuse of the Take Care Clause. The Take Care Clause in the United States Constitution, found in Article 2, Section 3, states, quote, the president shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed, unquote meaning the president is obligated to execute the laws enacted by Congress and to ensure that the laws are faithfully administrated. It emphasizes the president's duty to enforce all constitutionally valid acts of Congress, regardless of their alignment with the president's personal views or policies. That certainly doesn't sound like what's happening at our country's southern border, now does it? Then we should look at every non-legislated regulation coming out of the cabinet-level departments and agencies. The very act of Congress allowing the executive branch to craft ipso facto law through the establishment of non-legislated regulatory power is unconstitutional, and SCOTUS has ruled as much in a case against the EPA. Yet the regulatory tyranny of the executive branch reigns on. Further, Biden's abuse of the executive order is clear and defined. There are specific criteria that need to be met to ensure a balance of power and accountability before a chief executive is allowed to issue an executive order. The foremost criterion for a president to issue an EO is a clear constitutional authority. 
Executive orders cannot exceed the president's constitutional authority or infringe upon the powers reserved for other branches of government. A president must also base executive orders on existing legislation or statutes so that they align with the laws enacted by Congress, ensuring that the president's actions are consistent with the legislative framework. The criteria for addressing issues related to national security or emergencies involve a genuine and imminent threat to the nation, necessitating swift action and honest transparency about the circumstances and their justifications. And this is where Vance should have slammed into Stephanopoulos' argument with a tank. Executive orders can also be used to streamline and improve the efficiency of government operations. Therefore, Trump would have every right and constitutional authority to reorganize agencies, streamline procedures, and eliminate redundancies. Before an executive order is issued, the president has a constitutional authority to consider the potential benefits and drawbacks of the order for the general welfare of the population. Did Biden check this box when he issued his EO on student loan forgiveness? Didn't he consider that many in our nation would see this as using taxpayer dollars to pay off loans for doctors and lawyers as an act of income redistribution and thievery? Lastly, the criteria for using the power of executive order mandates that any EO has a limited scope, focusing on a specific issue rather than attempting to legislate broadly. A president must avoid using orders to circumvent and should reserve them for situations where swift action is necessary. Now, how are diversity, equity, and inclusion in military academy admissions policies a matter of immediacy and or national security? For that matter, why do student loans qualify for an executive order action? In matters like this, it is the insistence of the insister that is the most egregious element. Just because Stephanopoulos wants something to be so doesn't mean he has the right to use his position in the media to deceive the public. And just because he wants to play the media gotcha game with a member of the opposition party doesn't mean he gets to ignore the facts of the matter. Stephanopoulos is doing both here and illustrates why the American people find mainstream media operatives lower than whale shit. Now, my segment on America's Third Watch has broadcast coast-to-coast on the Salem and Genesis Communications Networks. You're listening to Underground USA. Did you know that Yopon is the only tea plant indigenous to the United States? Hi, I'm CJ, the owner of Emerald Coast Tea Company. We have a line of Yopon teas and Yopon tea blends that will open your eyes to tea that is literally made in the USA. Check out our entire line of teas at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. Bank of America wants to control how you live your life. They're building a system to track your carbon emissions and monitor your driving, coming after your Second Amendment rights, favoring certain home buyers based on their race. Bank of America is using a social score system straight out of China's playbook. Bank of America is obsessed with trying to control your life. What will they do next? 
Bank of America. Their lies start with their name. News, insight, passion. AM 930, The Answer. But tell you what, let's head on over and uh, bring in Frank Salvato. Uh, we talk with him, of course, every Monday and Friday here on the program. And this hour, Frank Salvato is uh, from UndergroundUSA.com. He's also author of the book Nullification. And it's been quite a weekend, Frank, and we're glad that you're back. Hello, Mr. Kyle. <laughs> I love that. I really do. Uh, but I tell you what, Frank, you know, it really has been something. You know, we've had... Uh, uh, these uh, retaliations and so forth uh, over the weekend as well. Uh, a lot going on in the Middle East, a lot going on in politics. Where would you like to start this? One? <laughs> it's so much. <laughs> well, first off, I want to say if to heed the warnings out in Southern California. Yeah. If if the if the disaster people start telling you that you you need to move out of harm's way, do it. Uh, this is coming from somebody who's not only been in the spent a career in the fire service as a fireman and a paramedic, but also I lived down in Florida along the coast. So when they tell you to get, get. No, you know. no kidding. That's right. Yeah. It's, you know, there are a lot of people in the, um, in the, uh, some of these burn areas too. They don't want to evacuate and, uh, you know, the local law enforcement, the fire department, the emergency people. Uh, they're not uh, very happy about that. You know, it's it because you're right. I mean, everything can be replaced, whether it's the fire coming through with the Santa Ana winds or it's the flooding that's coming through as a result of this huge storm. Uh, everything can be replaced, but people can't. That's right. Be, be smart. L- live to see tomorrow and and be able to whine about the things that you lost. Yes, exactly. Right. You know, just exactly right. Just be smart. Don't you know? Don't be a hero. That's uh, even in the even in the fire service and, and in, in the community of first responders. We always say safety first. It, it, that's that's the ultimate safety first. So let go of things that are that are material. If if you start if your life starts to get threatened, there, there's no reason to be the hero. Save your family. Save yourself, save your pets, and uh, and live to live to a grape another day. I guess. Well, that is. I appreciate you saying that because, folks, Frank knows exactly what he's talking about because he has been a firefighter. He knows exactly in the scene. I'm sure the aftermath of when people did not heed the warnings. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's unnecessary. You know, and uh, it's it's something that leaves a mark on family and friends and. And first responders too. We, you know, we have to deal with what we pick up when people make mistakes uh, every day when we go home. So, yeah. Well, it was about three or four years ago, and my area um, where my home is, they um, they were evacuating literally all over the place, and the main street uh, near me was the cutoff. But we were waiting, and we had we actually had stuff packed, and we were waiting for that order. Uh, fortunately it, it, it didn't turn out that we'd have to go, but we were ready to go. You know, you, you get all the important papers you need or whatever pictures and things like that. And you just pack up and, and, and you, you need to go if you have to. Yeah. You do make a go bag and it doesn't have to be big. It's just stuff to get you through the next three days, you know, and, and make sure you have copies of important documents and safety deposit boxes. 
you know, and it, this just doesn't apply to events like uh, the Pineapple Express. It, it, it has you live in an earthquake zone. Right. Have you have have water? Have dried food that you can actually uh, eat in case your power is cut off and no one can get to you for a while. Have a way to cook it. Have a way to thaw it. You know, you know, just it, it doesn't have to be grandiose, just enough to get you through. Well, and again, yeah, folks here in Southern California, they're not um, used to extreme weather events in that regard. We get the Santa Anas and yes, the occasional earthquake, but it's very different from other parts of the country where it, it can be much more routine, for lack of a better term. And so I think you're right. I hope people that are listening to this. Uh, you know, take heed to that because it's so very important, and I appreciate it. Well, it never, never rains in Southern California. No, of course. <laughs> Tell you that, and uh, and then uh, yeah, then you try to try to go out and drive and everything. I mean, it's it's always really something. But um, certainly, the retaliations that we saw uh, happening um, over the uh, over the weekend, uh, you know, are are they are they going to really make Iran believe President Biden when he says don't? <laughs> uh no no and then that's because iran's goal is not to not to go to the edge and and tempt the great satan they want to get into a skirmish with great satan they want a big war and and they wanted to engulf the entirety of the middle east and uh you know the reason for that and we've touched on this a few times over the past couple of weeks as this has been progressing is that their goal is is the advancement of Islam. It has nothing to do with hating Israel, really. It has nothing to do with the, the United States being in the region, although those are minor reasons for what they're doing. But they feel if they can engulf the Middle East in, in total chaos and war, that that is a vehicle for expanding Islam throughout that region and then into Eastern Europe and, and further into Africa and then and, and in further into Asia. Uh, from where they are so they have a dedicated reason for wanting to provoke the great satan um this is what makes me nervous because they are playing a three-tiered chess um and, and joe biden's just saying okay i better respond because there's an election coming up well yeah you're right about that and uh, and certainly and I, I appreciate the reference more than you know about uh, the three you know three-dimensional chess you know i can remember mr spock you know, always beating Captain Kirk at that. Or sometimes Kirk would beat him and Spock would not understand. How did you do that? It wasn't logical. Because he, right? he, he cheated. <laughs> you know. That's right. Well, um, but no, but you, you're right. And now, of course, we keep hearing the administration saying, you know, um, we don't want a wider war. We're not looking for a war with Iran. You know, is is are they really trying to get them to tamp it down or are they... Or in other words, should they be saying, look, I mean, this, this could mean a huge war and we're going to take action as opposed to look, cause it looks like they're tiptoeing around. No, you want to put them in a place where we don't have to go show them what we're made of because we've, and, and this is something that, that as you know, we've talked about it, but it, now we get to apply it into a real world scenario. We have given so much armament to other locations that our reserves are not full with missiles and ammunition and weapons and fuel. So if we, if we have to go all in with Iran, it's not going to be an easy task 
if I remember correctly, not too long ago, they were tasked with the third or fourth largest army on the planet. You know, so that's going to be a bring your lunch kind of scenario. And right now we're not at, we're not at ready level. We're not at ready level. And, and, and we're still giving monetary aid to Ukraine. Like, like we're the ones fighting that war. So this is why I ran, you know, rattling the saber and sending out the drones and giving the Houthis and Hezbollah green light and, and propping up Hamas. Now's the time. If you're going to, if you're going to tweak the great Satan into a confrontation, now's the time. And, and if that happens, better start watching Taiwan. Well, sure, because they want a cascade effect at that point. Absolutely. China will go immediately. If we get into a shooting war with Iran, China will move. Yeah, and they, they realize, and I'm not, we're not giving away any secrets here, but they, they realize we're not going to be able to take care of those two theaters at the same time. No, and not with the way that we have been giving away our arsenal. Right. You know, exactly. It's just, it's not, it's not, even, even our Pentagon said, we can't do it. Now, I, you know, are they accurate these days? If we talk about diversity and equity and inclusion, I'm sure they got their numbers straight, <laughs> you know, but as far as, you know, capabilities, yeah, I'm, I'm going to err on the side that maybe we shouldn't, or we we just make a strike that is something out of, out of history. You know, and and wipe out, <clears throat> pardon me, wipe out the Houthis completely with one blow, and 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 hope that that show of force is something that sends a message to the mullahs to say, well, maybe we underestimated. Right. No, I with you wholeheartedly, and and uh, but of course, what the Biden administration is is doing is they are so afraid of how this plays for certain voting blocks or Arab Americans and the feedback they get on the campaign trail or, you know, politically, you know, it's, it's almost as if, you know, they are just, you know, letting that drive their responses as to, as to whether or not the Houthis keep doing what they're doing. Well, this is the, this is the animal that is the Biden administration. They are political. It, it is not about, do we do the right thing in the world? If, if they were all about doing the right thing, the southern border would be closed. If they were, if they were about doing the right thing, they would, be spending, they would be spending U.S. taxpayer dollars on the U.S. taxpayers instead of people who aren't citizens. So they're not about doing the right thing. They're about doing the thing that keeps them in power. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, 100%. And I, I'm hoping that people are starting to see that more, you know, the fact that it's on display. You know, otherwise, you know, Biden or the Democrats in general, or the, the idea of a Democrat president, you know, Biden should be running away with this thing. If the economy is as good as they say, if the adults are in the room and the foreign policy is now back where it should be, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Joe Biden personally has had a very rocky relationship with the truth his entire career <laughs> yeah. you know he's been he's been caught plagiarizing on several occasions uh his his gaffes um telegraph um his inner racist i, I mean he just is oh yeah he he tries he tries not to but the comments that he's made about um indian indians and, and 7-elevens and even the comment he made about 
Barack Obama being the first well-spoken, clean black person. I, I mean, his words, exactly. Those, those, those were his words. Yep. Absolutely. They were. So this guy is, he's not a nice man. He's, he's a, he's a pretty selfish, self-centered, um, ideologue who will always figure out a way to win. Uh, he's a bandwagoner and right now he's got dementia full blown. So the people who are, are voting Democrat, yeah, you still got time. <laughs> you know, well, you're right. You still got time, but I don't think I would put a vice president mumbles in there either. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, in fact, Biden was, um, he was uh, speaking over the weekend. And he says, Donald Trump, uh, it's the weirdest thing he's ever seen in a campaign. He says, Donald Trump's not for anything. He's against everything, according to uh, according to Joe Biden, which obviously doesn't even have a smidgen of trying to ring true. We've been talking a lot about what's going on in the Middle East, but certainly what's happening, and we've been talking a lot about what's happening at the border as well. Uh, Governor Abbott, uh, was joined by, I think it was at least 13 governors, I think at this press conference might, I, I think that's the correct number, but almost half of the governors of the United States are backing, uh, Texas, uh, doing what it's doing. And a majority of the people, according to all that I saw late last week, they're approving of it as the Biden administration just bitten off more than it can chew on this. No, I think it's executing the plan that was started under Obama actually kind of started under Clinton but definitely put into high gear under Obama. And uh, it kind of employs the Cloward Piven strategy where they can they foresee, and Elon Musk is right on this, they foresee have, injecting enough people who will feed off the government trough in order to be loyal to them to create a one-party system in the United States and make it impossible for um, for Republicans to regain any kind of majority. Um, you know, when you put in 10 million, 11 million people in four years, that makes a heck of a difference, especially when elections are not landslides these days. Now, the upcoming election may be, because I believe the Amer a lot of the American people, is well more than the majority, are understanding that if you, if you lose control of your borders and you dilute your population, you, dil you lose your country. You know, there's right. you, what, what worth is an elected official when people who aren't citizens have their ear, you know, yeah. that the congressmen who, who go to Washington and our federal government, uh, they're supposed to be the voice of the people who are the citizens, not the people who are, and boy, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to get crap for this, not the people who are occupying our land. You know, so, and the senators, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. They weren't even supposed to be representative of the people. They were supposed to be representative of the states. Right. So, you know, I, a solution I see is getting back to the states, having, having the upper hand when it comes to power and the federal government playing a second role and just filling in the spaces. But boy, that's going to be a battle. Well, they certainly understand the principle of attrition on the Democrat side, the far left, you know. And that's exactly what they're what they're doing now. You know, I stop me if I've, I've asked you that I think about this before, but it's been on my mind. And, you know, we had uh, Michael Beschloss. He's a NBC presidential historian. Evidently. Uh, and he's he was asked point blank. Is this a constitutional crisis? He said, in his words, not yet. 
But then he went on to outline everything about the Civil War and slavery and integration of the schools and say, well, but Southern states have defied the federal government before. Is this even close to that? I don't see that. I don't see that this has anything to do with those events. This is because the federal government's not not uh, telling the state to do something per se. It's that they're vacating the whole area. The state is saying, well, we're going to put something here so these uh, illegal immigrants don't just cross over all the time. Well, the, the the federal government has a constitutional duty to execute the laws that have been legislated, and they are falling flat on that duty. It's a, it's called the Take Care Clause. They, they are supposed to execute. They are not executing, and they're doing it on purpose. So I do believe that creates a constitutional crisis because a requirement in the Constitution is being ignored purposefully. And, and that's why, in this case, Texas, any border state that wants to assert their authority on the border has the right to do so because the federal government is not pursuing what they're charged with. And then that makes them delinquent in their duties. They've broken the compact with the states. You know, the compact says, you know, okay, you're going to take care of the border? Yes, we we agree to take care of the border, and, and there we go. Okay, great. We've got a constitution, and everybody's happy. Well, now you're saying, yeah, it's on the books, but we just don't. We want to change the dynamic of the United States of America. Let's go back to Barack Obama's five days before his first election. We're five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Well, that's what they're doing that's what they're doing, and then they're going to do it through through this this democratic socialism, which you know the framers didn't give us a democracy, and they didn't give us socialism. They gave us a constitutional republic and a representative government. So you know you know is there a constitutional crisis? I I see one. I see one when 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 one side of when one partner in a contract decides not to fulfill their right in a contract, doesn't that break the contract? No, you're absolutely right. And But, of course, you mentioned a couple of phrases or a couple of terms, right? One was democracy. The other was constitutional republic, representative government. And the left is having such a great success at demonizing those words. You know, it's like, oh, you just said constitutional republic. What are you, some kind of sovereign citizen or something? Or, you know, that, in other words, they... They create this connotation and that yet the word democracy is like, it's like the angels saying, and it's all this wonderful, this wonderful sort of thing that, uh, that's connotated to that. But what they really mean by democracy is taking away your rights by simply having a mob rule over you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what democracy is. 51% rules. There is no protection for minority rights. In a constitutional republic, there is a protection for minority rights, and that's what makes our system of government, at least the system we're supposed to be living under, the greatest system in the world. And it would work much, much better if we could hit a reset button and get back to before Woodrow Wilson's time, when senators looked out for the states and the House were looking out for the people. That system works. Today's system doesn't. We, we've got a we've got a lower house that's completely politicized, and we have an upper house that's completely politicized. So the political parties run the country. That wasn't supposed to happen, you know. Yeah. But but they've been pushing this democracy thing since what nineteen forty five. We live in a democracy. Our democracy is fantastic. We have to save our democracy. 
Trump is going to destroy our democracy. Well, we don't live in a democracy. And every time somebody says democracy, they show their ignorance. Well, right, right. But they're also being, though, uh, sort of preconditioned to when they hear that term, democracy, uh, that somehow, again, that is that is the correct term to use, you know, as opposed to, to thinking about it for a minute, right? About what the, what it really means as we've opposed got, to the Constitutional Republic. We've got a we've got a democratic electoral system. That's what right. we have. We don't have a democracy. Our our framers despised democracy. They all warned against it because it was mob rule. And in anywhere a democracy has actually been practiced, it always almost immediately falls into an oligarchy. Always. There's, there's never been a democracy that survived as a pure democracy. It always falls to either revolution or it falls to an oligarchy. And right now, we've got an oligarchy. There's a gang of people in Washington who make the decisions and force it through Congress or force it through executive order. And then they challenge everything in the courts. Our representative government, to, you know, really? Do you, do you want to argue that point? Because because I I believe they represent the parties more than they represent the people. Indeed, indeed. Well, but again, this notion that uh, the terminology and that's why these words matter because the left are, if nothing, they're wordsmiths. And oh, they, absolutely. And, yeah, and and they get you to 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 believe that even if somebody just uses a particular term, well, now they're evil, they're racist, uh, they want to trample on rights. But what you're talking about, and this is why we got to get this message out even more, is that the system of, of the Constitution actually protects people's rights as opposed to people saying, hey, guess what? We decided today you don't have those rights. You know yeah, I mean? is it the Constitution and Bill of Rights actually put a wall around government to limit it. Right. And that's in and of itself revolutionary. And, <laughs> and today, yeah, you look at, you know, you're the bad guy. You want to limit government. Yeah, yeah. Well, bring bring me to Bunker Hill then. <laughs> well, Frank Silvato, UndergroundUSA.com, author of the book Nullification. Take care, my friend. We will talk to you again on Friday. Stay low, my friend. If you like the podcast, subscribe, leave a comment, rate it if your platform lets you. Be sure to head on over to UndergroundUSA.com to sign up for our Substack which comes straight to you, circumventing the censors and the fact-checkers, because we both know that they're worthless, and that's been proven over time. And be sure to pick up your copy of Nullification, the case for decentralizing the federal government, available in Kindle and paperback over at Amazon.com. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato, and we will be back right after this. This podcast is a production of the Compass Point Group.